Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to just invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter briefly this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. And in this section, Peter begins to wind down the main section of his, his letter. And he, he explains to us how to live in the last days. In fact, that's the title of our message, Last Days Live In. How to, how to live in a way that, that is born out of an awareness that the time is short. The text begins this way. If you're at 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to begin reading at verse 7. And he says, the end is near. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Now, Peter wrote this almost 2,000 years ago, and we could begin to question whether he was accurate in that statement. When you read the New Testament, when you hear the words of Jesus and you read the letters of the New Testament, you realize that they talk like this. In fact, when, when people ask me, Pastor, do you think we're living in the end times? My answer is yes, because according to that, when you read the language of the New Testament, the, the end times began with... Jesus' first coming, and they culminate with his second coming. We're somewhere in the midst of those end times, or last days, as the New Testament refers to it. We are living in the end times. We may very well be living towards the end of the end times, but we are living in these last days, according to the New Testament. Notice, though, that when Peter brings up the last days, he doesn't resort to speculation. He's not preoccupied about signs and dates like so many of those discussions go in books and in podcasts and, and, and sermons today. But, but Peter here, he goes with not when is the end going to be, but how am I supposed to live in light of the last days? Jesus can return at any moment, according to the Scripture. I wonder, do our lives reflect that we believe that? That any day could be our last. Any moment, our Savior could return for His children. Does that shape the way you live? Does that shape the decisions that you make? It's so easy to lose track of the main thing, the big picture and wander around like we're lost, like the, like the old family circus comics of the kids. You know, I want you to come straight home after practice, and their version of straight is not so straight, and it follows the dotted line all the places they stopped and visited along the way. While that, those comics were humorous, and those of us with children understand the, the humor behind that, 
we also recognize the danger of if our Christian lives look like that, that we're wandering without any real purpose or direction. And the Apostle Peter calls us to an alertness, a sober-mindedness in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. In fact, he's going to tell us four things, and we'll just touch on them briefly this morning, four things that we should, that should be part of our lives if we are, are seriously mindful that Jesus could return at any moment. That, that mentality should shape everything we do. In fact, somebody asked Martin Luther one, one day, the, the German reformer, what he would do if today was the day the end would come. And he replied that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. What Luther meant, of course, was that his heartbeat was to live every day in light of the end. And, and so he would do what needed to be done that day because he was doing it for the honor and glory of God already. That should be our heart as well. The four things that Peter mentions, just briefly here. First of all, knowing that Christ could come soon should cause us to pray seriously. He says, therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Listen, when life's a mess, nobody has to remind us to pray. When life is, is coming at us fast and we feel it's out of control we don't have to hear a sermon on prayer. Our hearts are naturally bent that way. Arlene and I were just talking about this last night in Jim's hospital room. How so often we resort to prayer as, as, as a last, like a, like a bottom of the list. Well, I've done everything I can, so I, I might as well pray. That shouldn't be our perspective of prayer. Our prayers should be urgent and earnest. What if we lived with a mindset of alertness. That same earnestness you've had in different times in your life when that child is walking away from the Lord or you get that cancer diagnosis or work is really, really overwhelming or your marriage is struggling, that earnestness that you sensed in that moment, what if you and I lived with that same passion for prayer day in and day out? That's what Peter calls us to here, to pray seriously. It's not about guilt trips. It's not about if you love Jesus, you're, you're, if you really love him, you're going to start praying more. And it's about a, a, a loving relationship that we have with the creator of the universe, and we get to talk to him, and we get to cast our burdens before him. And if we really believe what the scriptures teach about prayer, we also realize that it unlocks unfathomable power. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Chew on that verse for a little while. Some of us can dream pretty big. And Scripture says that God can do exceedingly abundantly even above what we can ask or think. And it's the power that's at work within you and me. Prayer matters. We must pray Seriously. The second thing he says is to love constantly. To love constantly. Verse 8 tells us this. Above all, so you can see what he's prioritizing here. Maintain a constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter has already had so much to say about love. 
In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so, so that you have a sincere brotherly love for each other, love from a pure heart constantly. Chapter 2, verse 17, he tells us to love the brothers and sisters. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says, love one another and be compassionate and humble. And throughout the text, he's used different words, words, different words for love, words that can communicate brotherly love. But here, he's speaking of that agape love. And he says, I want you to do this with earnest, not just um, half-heartedly, not just just uh, moping about it or, or, or with a, a, a partial will. He says, I want you to have this constant love that is earnest, that persists despite difficulties and challenges. Last week, in the beginning of chapter 4, he was sort of talking about our perspective as we look out towards the world, how we're supposed to behave among those who don't know Jesus. Here the focus is, is more inward. And he says, I want you to have this earnest love for one another. My brothers and sisters, that love can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It's, it's not within us. Sure, we can get along with people we like, with some of our best friends or people who like the same things we like. But the body of Christ is unique. We're called to love each other despite our differences and despite our, our different hang-ups and, and, and personalities. And he says this kind of love it covers a multitude of sins. That is, that it means we're not going to get hung up on, on little things, that we're not going to be holding grudges, that, it, that we'll, we'll be able to say, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm going to let that go. Love covers a multitude of sins. Let's love constantly. Thirdly, he says, to show hospitality willingly. Verse 9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Notice this is a command. These are all commands. It's not optional. We're called as Christians to open up our homes to be welcoming to outsiders. In this context, it was both strangers and those who they were familiar with. It involved, you know, being, being that there wasn't necessarily an abundance of lodgings like what we experience today, there was this opening up your home for travelers that were passing by, especially believers. They could come along and say, hey, my brother so-and-so said uh, that he knew you and that you would, you would welcome me. And you open up your door and you let them stay the night. You take care of them and provide for them. But it goes even beyond that to the idea of opening up homes for worship and fellowship. And notice, I think he anticipates our hearts. Of course he does. He's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so he knows the protests. And so he says, very interestingly, out of all the things that he could have tagged on to be hospitable, he could have said, be hospitable and make sure you make them a nice meal. Be hospitable and make sure you have a, a, a nice bed made up for them. Be hospitable and don't be checking your watches constantly while they're there. But notice he says, be hospitable without complaining. <laughs> he presupposes that some of us might have a hard time with this. And we might grumble about it. 
the fact that someone may need our home, the fact that we're caused we're called to disrupt our ordinary flow of our evenings or our days to welcome somebody in. He knows that, that our sinful nature might bristle against that. And he says, do this without complaining or ungrudgingly, would be a more literal translation, without murmuring. The term is used to refer to repeated words of complaint, often spoken to others with the result of stirring up rebellion in Scripture. Such grumbling is ultimately a complaint against God and His ordering for our circumstances. We're called to welcome one another into our homes with thanksgiving and joy. Some of us are okay with this. Others of us struggle mightily. We make excuses. My place isn't big enough. Uh, the place is filthy. I, my kids are running everywhere. It's chaos. I got a lot going on. He doesn't, he doesn't give us excuses to let us out of this. He calls us to be welcoming into our homes. The key to hospitality is just to begin. Stop waiting till everything's perfect. Stop waiting till you have a chance to make a a three-course meal, stop making excuses about what your house looks like or how small your place is, and just welcome people into your home. Believers, unbelievers, just begin. I like how John Dennis puts it when he says, hospitality is not something we do um, uh, that we can program. We do not practice hospitality to get uh, conversions. We don't do it with ulterior motives. We practice hospitality because it's right. We practice hospitality because we are God's people. We share God's goodness through our home because God has shown His goodness to us. He has welcomed us. His grace overflows the threshold of our homes. At least it should. May we be people who are hospitable. And finally, He tells us to steward gifts graciously. Steward gifts graciously. As he thinks about how to order our lives in an alert and sober-minded way because Jesus could come at any time, he reminds us that we have spiritual gifts to be good stewards of. Verse 10 and 11 says, just as each one has received a gift. Notice he says each one. Each one. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit. If you want to read more about these gifts, read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 or Romans chapter 12. And you'll see, you'll see these things explained more. But Paul tells us in that passage in Romans the exact same thing. Each of you, not just the pastors, not just those who have been a Christian a really long time or those who are teaching classes. We each have been gifted by the Spirit of God. Let that sink in. Because I'm convinced not every Christian believes this. We, we may say we do. We may pay lip service to this. But that God has equipped you through your individual personality and talents and, and circumstances to serve the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others. Don't sit on it. Don't excuse it away. Mine's kind of, nah. Or I don't know what mine is. Well, that's, that's your fault. Seek to understand your gift and then use it. Listen, use it 
as good stewards of the varied grace of God. These gifts, in fact, the, 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 the actual word is rooted in grace. Charismata. It's the Greek word for grace. It, it, the, the root of that is the Greek word for grace. These, these have been graciously given by God to us so that we can graciously serve and care for others. And he's called us to steward this. When we hear that word, your, your mind probably goes to some of Jesus' parables. Do you remember, you remember the story he tells? I think it turns up in a couple places, Matthew 25 and, um, oh, and, and also Luke 19, where the landowner gives some of his servants differing amounts of talents. I can't remember the exact numbers, but he handed them different levels, and the, and the one invested it, and it multiplied, and the other, other multiplied his. And then the, the one that they called the wicked servant, he just buried his in the ground. And, and the master came back and praised the first two, but, but had extremely harsh words for the one who just buried his. Peter does not use the word steward your gift, the phrase steward your gift by mistake. We're called to manage it well. My brothers and sisters, you have been gifted by God. Whether you believe that or not, you have been gifted by God. Please. Do not bury it in the ground. Do not squirrel it away. That's not why our master has gifted us. He's called us to steward the gifts well. These gifts are imparted by the Holy Spirit so that we can supernaturally serve and bless others and he, he, Peter here doesn't give us an extensive list like Paul does, but he just sort of breaks them into two categories. He, speaks, he breaks it into those who have a speaking gift and those who have a serving gift. He said, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. I love the way that he... he uh, he just summarizes these so succinctly. The speaking gifts could be gifts like apostleship, prophecy, teaching, tongues, exhortation. The serving gifts that he mentions could be giving, leading, mercy, helps, healing, tongues, miracles, or, or miracles, uh, tongues would fall under the speaking gifts. He, he wants us to know, no matter whether you're, you're doing something that involves Speaking and sharing the gospel and strengthening and encouraging or speaking a prophetic word or whether you're, you're using your hands to serve and to come alongside, do it as a steward of God. Do it as a steward of God's grace and use it for his honor and glory. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. That's how he finishes verse 11. May it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. May that be our heartbeat in all of this. Let's not read this passage as a guilt trip. Man, I got to pray more. Man, I got to love better. Oh, I stink at that. I haven't had anybody over in my house. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be more hospitable, and I'm not doing anything with my gifts. I gotta do. It's not a guilt trip. This is as a result 
of knowing Jesus. And that's why he started with that back in chapters 1 and 2. Go back there if you're feeling guilty this morning. Go back and remember who you are. Go back and remember that, that Jesus Christ, upon the cross and his abundance, abundant grace, has forgiven your sin and drawn you to himself so that you may be infused with power to go forth and glorify God. Not to do anything for our own namesake, not to do anything for our own glory, and certainly not to do anything because we're checking boxes off and we're obeying out of drudgery. But we're choosing to pray, to love, to welcome others into our homes and to serve with our gifts because Jesus has welcomed us into his family, has redeemed us and given us new life. And so that in gospel power, we can go forth and live these truths out. I want to close in prayer, but I, I just, want to, just want to make mention, we're, we're going to be here to pray. If, if God's been speaking to you this morning, we'd love for you to just come up. Even if you don't want to pray with anybody, you just want to, just want to pray here. We'll, um, we'll be here. We're not turning the lights off, so I invite you to join us for prayer. God, the abundance of your grace and goodness and kindness has overflowed to us through Jesus Christ. And the power of your Holy Spirit has been made aware to us. We're alert this morning to the reality of your Spirit's work in our midst. So we hear these great stories of revival in, in our country. Lord God, I pray that we would do nothing to quench your Spirit's work. That we might step back and remember that like Jesus said in John 3, that the Spirit blows where He wills. And we might celebrate and continue to pray for what you're doing around this country. Lord God, continue to ignite hearts however you see fit and, and, and let this passion for Jesus Christ and for you continue to grow. Oh Lord God, may this cause us to pray more fervently and constantly. May we, may we pray deep, bold, audacious prayers. May we move beyond, God, help me to have a good day today, to things like, God, would you redeem the soul of my neighbor? Would you awaken our hearts so that we might repent of sin that we have clung on to? Lord God, may your Holy Spirit stir within our youth that you might call a new generation to proclaim your goodness and glory, that they may be no longer satisfied with social media and superficial friendships, but that they might pursue one another deeply in love. Lord God, stir our hearts to pray things that can only take place as a result of your supernatural work. Lord God, would you stir within our hearts a deep and fervent love for one another, 
knowing that love covers a multitude of sins. Father, would you convict those of us who struggle to open up our homes and be hospitable as, as, we, as we've been praying for and thinking about and preparing for missional communities. Some of us have, have not signed up or some of us have not pursued that simply because we don't want to bother having people in our homes. Lord, would you convict us of that? Lord God, would you convict us if we're not stewarding our gifts well? Not, again, out of fear or pastoral manipulation, but because you've graciously given, to, given them to us and you've called us to be a part of what you're doing in your church. Oh, Lord God, stir our hearts with great joy and humble repentance to come before you and to live godly and holy lives full of love and saturated in prayer. God, for those this morning that you're, whose hearts you're stirring, whose hearts you're convicting, and the Holy Spirit is calling, may they, may they come, may they linger in prayer, may they cry out to you and, and ask for your wisdom, your vision, and your heart. And we pray, God, that you would answer those prayers. Now, the God who hears us, the God who hears our cries and listens to our prayers, may he be the shelter above you, the tower around you, the rock beneath you this day and all the days until Jesus comes. Amen. Those of you who would like to stay and sing a song to our brother, Jim. Please do so. His chains are now gone. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy He reigns, unending love, amazing Shield and portion.
suffering and hurting. Give them the strength and the courage to grieve with you, Lord, but know in our hearts that he's in a better place. Rejoicing with you, something that we can't even fathom. We pray that you be with us as we go. Be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 